0: everybody. I'm Kelly Ellers. Jeffrey Lennon. And this is Volume Up by The Teas. We're here. How was your Thanksgiving?
1: So good. So <laughs> much food. I only care about the pies, which you know this about me. Indeed. That's, I, nothing else. I'm a vegetarian, so really, the turkey's not for me. Tofurky, also not for me.
0: No, not good. Um, mm.
1: But the pies. Pumpkin pie. Don't love pumpkin spice. Do love pumpkin pie. <laughs> make that sense. Um, make that make sense. Uh, I also, my mother-in-law makes a chocolate pecan pie that is
0: Ooh, that sounds incredible. All right. Um,
1: and then there's just a regular pecan pie. So I get it all. I just, all the pies, you know, everything else people can have the pies are for me. How was yours?
0: It was great. It was wonderful. And I think we're going to get to a little oh, we've got a debate question. that yep, yep. we have to mm-hmm. talk about over was had over Thanksgiving, so we're going to get there, but before we We do, (laughs) on last week's episode, I spoke with Yanay Damtu, salon owner and entrepreneur of her own education program on how she got started in the salon world and ended up working at the White House shortly after. Her salon is a model for inclusivity and represents the importance of diversity in our industry. If you like learning more about the industry, those who are enacting change and creating a better world, make sure that you hit subscribe, rate and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tease, and send in questions to volume up at thetease.com.
1: This week, I interviewed Dr. Graham Peasley. Dr. Peasley has been part of the American Physical Society for 38 years and the American Chemical Society for 35. Most recently, Dr. Peasley was part of a study to uncover PFAS, which we'll talk about, in makeup. The paper is titled Fluorinated Compounds in North American Cosmetics. You're going to want to take a look at that one. It's actually free source, which is great, so we can link to it and you should take a look at what people are up to um, in terms of your cosmetics. It's a little bit alarming. Uh, And Dr. Peasley joins us as an expert in the field to talk about PFAS and the study's findings. But before we get there, you talked about it a little bit. Look, it's Cyber Monday. We've gone through the Thanksgiving thing. (laughs) We've moved past this, but I do just want to go back a little bit. You know, cranberries. Yes, uh, You know what I'm getting at. Kelly, the ha- are the cranberries that are on your table, <laughs> are they coming in a can or are they a fresher option? Lay it on me.
0: Okay. So my mom, a couple weeks ago was like, what can I bring? Because I'm the host, The ho- being the host is my jam. It's my mm-hmm. love language. And so mm-hmm. I was like, bring the canned Cranberries—they might not even resemble. You know, you know how they did that test with Subway, where like the tuna yeah, didn't no, resemble. Yep. There was no there was tuna. No, there was no
1: tuna in the tuna.
0: <laughs> I think, and I challenge someone to see if there's actual <laughs> cranberry in the gelatinous, can-shaped tube that you put on a dish.
1: I mean, I would venture you? to say there's there's no cranberries it, in that. The, t- <laughs> the tube is a good way to put it. It's like a log. It's just like, you know, the, it's just- And a, only yeah, good if you can-, can
0: see the rings of the can.
1: Agreed. If if you can't see the rings, what's the point? No, yes. look, I, I've said this at the top. We talked about it. I'm here for the pie. Um, yeah. That said, cranberry in a can, the cranberry, sauce, I'm not against it. Um, yeah. Our family does both. So, we'll do the can for the people that are the traditionalists that need <laughs> that. And then there's also some sort of like fun puree Mixed situation. Puree. Yeah. Okay. Which, right. like, well, you know, settled. yeah. So, have have both when you can. Have both. Um, but yes. definitely don't skimp on the can. That's my feelings.
0: Mm-mm.
1: I'm glad to see that we're aligned there. <laughs> all right. Look, we are going to talk about all things on the teas.com. Um, there's always so much happening. Our hardworking editors never sleep. They're relentless at uncovering industry news, diving into brands that you don't know but should. And here are some headlines that we think that you should be aware of. First up, look, we're celebrating global beauty on thetease.com. So it's only natural that our team dove into the best international hair brands. With so many incredible hair brands like Pattern Beauty, Matrix, BrioGio at our fingertips, it can be easy to forget that there's a whole wide world out there that are just waiting to be explored. So while actual globetrotting might not be a thing because of COVID-19, thanks to the beauty of the internet, we can still discover and shop amazing hair products from our global neighbors near and far. So to guide you on your hair journey, our team highlighted some of the most amazing hair brands that exist outside of the US, whether they're half a world away in South Korea or just across the pond in the UK. Kelly,
0: had you heard of any of the brands that are profiled in this piece? You know, I have heard of one and I love the packaging because that's what's going to get you, right? right? And it is Lenore Grill, obviously French girl vibes. We talked about this last week, right? Mm-hmm, How mm-hmm. I love a French bar, but I shall never participate in one. This has given me some more vibes. It's a French gotcha. hair care line <laughs> that you need to know. It's the brainchild of French born hair fanatic. Lenore Greil, and her botanist husband, Jean-Marie. Mm. Uh, so it's environmentally friendly and they have been uh, pioneers in the natural hair care movement since the sixties. So like, oh gee, so check it mm. out. Green chic head over to the teas.com to learn more.
1: Yeah. That brand and a million others. Well, literally six others because the story is about <laughs> seven. Um, but no, love that brand and the packaging to your chef's kiss. It's so good. All right. Next up, something that is a little bit closer to home. Uh, The story is Louisiana stylists must now learn to cut textured hair or they won't get licensed. So you might've missed this, but we certainly did not. Um, With all of the progress that has been made from the natural hair movement in recent years, it's crazy to think that in 2021, a large percentage of the stylist community still doesn't know how to work with textured hair. The sad reality is that stylists are rarely, if ever taught how to style, cut, and color textured hair in cosmetology schools. That's why it's a pretty big deal that the state of Louisiana is now requiring all stylists to undergo textured hair training in order to get a license. The Louisiana Board of Cosmetology voted unanimously on November 1st, so just a little bit ago, to pass a resolution that would require, quote, all licensing exams to include a section on cutting textured hair, end quote, per reporting from KATC. When this resolution goes into effect in June of 2022, Louisiana will be the first state in the country to set a standard of this nature. Thoughts on this historic development, Kelly?
0: Hallelujah. It's about time. Hello, other states. Pay attention. We've got 65% of the U.S. population with textured hair. And the need for more diverse hair school curriculums is here. It's been here. We've been (laughs) saying this over and over again. So kudos to the Louisiana Board of Cosmetology. They wanted to change the state's licensing requirements. And I'm looking forward to 2022, other states falling in line.
1: Here's to that. Let's make it happen, guys. Um, and yeah, put some pressure on your local reps. Let's get this going everywhere. Another article that's on the tease that you should probably check out is about barbering Titan Andis that's just added a new shaver to its lineup. So the article is literally, Andis just added a brand new shaver to its lineup. Go look for it. If you're on the hunt, because it is Cyber Monday, you need the perfect grooming tool for the barber in your life, we've got some great news. the newest shaver, the research is probably exactly what you're looking for. This dual independent gold titanium foil shaver allows barbers and stylists to shave, shape, and trim on wet hair to create the smoothest shaves with less irritation. And stylists, this is for you. The tool eliminates the need entirely for a straight razor due to its hypoallergenic foils, which align to the skin and ensure that it offers the closest shave possible. Kelly, would you splurge on this pro tool for your guy?
0: Totally. I mean, (laughs) first of all, I think it's going to look real nice sitting on the counter. Mm -hmm. It is so sleek, black and gold design. It's pretty to look at. So I might just hit it up, Cyber Monday, right? So if you have somebody in your world that could use this beautiful new tool, I'm here for it.
1: At Descartes. after checking out the article on theteas.com. The next article that I want to bring to everybody's attention is Avalis' new hair growth supplement tackles hair loss holistically. So look, we're all about the natural options. Makes sense that we would cover this on thetease.com. When it comes to things that have the ability to send us into a full-blown panic, hair loss is definitely up there. It's hard not to freak out after finding a larger than usual, whatever the hell that means, clump of hair in your hairbrush or in the sink. But before you convince yourself that you are going bald, uh, just know that you're not alone. This is something that affects a ton of people. Hair loss is actually way more common than you'd think. And despite the fact that it's often seen as a men's issue, women make up 40% of all hair loss sufferers, according to the American Hair Loss Association, which is a real thing. There is some good news. The pioneering anti-aging company of is launching its first of a kind vegan hair growth ingestible that aids in growth of youthful, healthy hair called Let There Be Hair, which is an amazing name. This innovative supplement combines both natural and botanical actives to help reduce stress, replenish vitamin and nutrient deficiencies and support the hair cycle and protect the hair follicle from aging, which is the dream. Kelly, would you try it?
0: Yes, I'm here for anything that adds more hair to my head. (laughs) More hair, more volume, volume, more texture, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. more length, more, all of the things, all of the mores. And so I didn't realize that women made up 40% of all hair loss. So this is a a gender neutral sort of issue that we're all facing. So again, first of its kind, vegan hair growth, ingestible. We are going to bring the youthful, healthy abundant hair in 2022. Check it out on thetease.com.
1: Oh, yeah. Gift that Add it to card. And so much classier looking than the his and hers or hins and hers totally. branding stuff.
0: Beautifully like, designed. Screw
1: that, yeah, yeah, all about it. As always, so much going on at thetease.com. Thank you to our hardworking editors. We're proud to publish stories that salon pros and consumers care about. And now I interview Dr. Graham Peasley, Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Volume Up podcast. I am joined by Dr. Peasley today, and we're gonna be talking about something that you may not know much about, which is PFASs in cosmetics. Uh, there's probably some sexy way to say that. We're gonna get into it in a moment with <laughs> Dr. Peasley, uh, but first, if you wouldn't mind, for those that are unfamiliar with you and your work, if you could, please just give us a little bit of a background and then we'll dive into our combo.
2: Very good. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey, for having me on. The uh, My background is that I'm a professor of physics at the University of Notre Dame. I'm concurrent in chemistry. My, my degree is in chemistry. My undergraduate degree is in chemistry, but I did chemical physics as a graduate student. And uh, after many years in schooling, I never left. I stayed in the Ivory Castles. And I am now a professor. I've been at Notre Dame for six years now. This is my sixth year. My job at Notre Dame was to start doing applied physics. Um, Previously, my 30 years of work have been in basic science, where you do research and you publish it. It goes into a textbook someday. And, all very exciting, but nobody can read it. Uh, It's the type of things you get at a party. People sort of look at their shoes and walk away after a while because they don't want to hear about Mm -hmm. how the nuclear forces are uh, held together. But uh, about, seven or eight years ago, I was introduced to this concept of flame retardants that have been added to all our products. And I had a method by which to measure them. And that led to me to some early success. And then we, we'll talk about later, but this category of chemicals called PFAS came along. And somebody said, boy, if you could do that with PFAS, you'd be in business. And it's true. Uh, we found a quick way to measure PFAS. And so my uh, I teach, of course, but I also do a lot of research. And, now, uh, one of the reasons I got hired by Notre Dame was that I did this research in the PFAS and they're all very excited and uh, there's funding available. And So now suddenly I'm, uh, I'm doing popular research, it's great. And what's important is that I relate it back to the people who are very interested in this. We're not developing new techniques, well a few new techniques, but we're applying techniques to things that affect society or consumers. And then I'm independent, uh, no industry pays me. So, uh, well, uh, not not to give them a result anyway. And so we uh, can present these things and we aim them back at industry, more of the articles than the consumer. But I think it's uh, we'll have s- several examples where we helped uh, firefighters and other such people do look at specific products. And that's where uh, I find it kind of fascinating to do this after years of basic research trying to explain why this measurement means it's bad for you as a potential consumer of these products uh is a fascinating way to wake up in the morning it's it's something new and different every day um who knew i was going to be studying cosmetics i am not as you can tell a great cosmetics user myself Uh, but we are all drinking the products that come off these cosmetics it turns out and that's that's a little alarming so we uh that's my background uh i've got lots of credentials in terms of papers published i teach lots of students they're all co-authors on the paper and uh, that's true of this paper as well, that the lead author is a graduate student of mine. We did a marvelous job in this paper, it actually. is going hard to be hard to do better. Uh, so that's what we're working on.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for that background. We really do appreciate that, you being here with us. Um, We're going to dive into all of it. So we're going to talk about the the popular research that you've been doing, uh, particularly as it pertains to cosmetics and makeup. Um, But first, again, we just want to get to know you a little bit, have our audience understand your your approach. Um, So if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about how you got interested in science to begin with. Uh, Did you always envision that you would become a scientist uh, a chemist, perhaps a physicist, like talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, often we're talking to hairstylists and makeup artists. So this is a sort of departure, but a welcome.
2: Well, it's uh, it's a, a pretty familiar story. My father was a physicist and ah. that's, that's unusual. Most physicists don't beget other physicists. And so I was true to that form. I did not want to compete with my father. So I became a chemist and that was, uh, you know, it was acceptable in his book. Uh, barely, uh, but it was okay. And then, as I progressed through school, I actually gravitated back towards chemical physics, and I said, hmm, "I actually do like this stuff." And I would never tell him that, but uh, we got into that field. And now I'm doing nuclear physics, which is what he grew up doing a long time ago. So it's a it's a familial uh, sense that I was always around science. Um, but there are plenty of people who do science that had never done science in before, of course. So it's a it's a pretty small number. I think it's only two percent of us had physicist's father's. But I'm one of that 2%. And it got me excited early and often. And I had, you know, I had opportunity to go into advertising once when I was in in college, and I did that for summer. And Mm -hmm. uh, boy, that was exciting, but uh, very high stress and very not rewarding at the end of it. 40 years later, I sold somebody something a little bit better than the guy next to me. And I I didn't really (laughs) like that idea. And so once I did research as an undergraduate, I fell in love with it. I could wear blue jeans the rest of my life. Well, Maybe not as an apartment chair, but most of the time I could wear blue jeans the rest of my life. I control my own schedules and I do, I answer questions all day long, which nobody else knows the answer to. And boy, that's fun. Sometimes I even get them right, uh, which is even more fun. Oh,
1: such a fun sort of. (laughs) take on that we again appreciate that uh i don't think that people would have have thought that uh particularly our audience but there are a lot of people that get into hair and makeup as a result of their own families and so that's a sort of tie that perhaps they didn't know uh yeah i have have
2: not i have not only a niece but a uh nephew that are both into hair one's a barber and one's a a hairstylist how about that uh,
1: Amazing. Uh, In the interest then of answering questions, I mean, you talked about this is what you're doing for a living for your career. We've got a mess of them for you. um, And a lot of them are related to PFAS. Uh, For those who don't know, what
2: are they? Well, this is a, a chemical class, a class of chemicals. Um, there's about 4,000, 5,000 of these things that we know about, and they all are distinguished by having a carbon fluorine bond in the middle of them, uh, and often lots of them. And uh, they are very useful products. They have been, uh, the carbon fluorine bond is the world's strongest single bond in chemistry, just the way it is. And once you make these chemicals, they are very hard to remove, they don't go away. Um, And that makes them very practical for things. And uh, the most common example that most people are familiar with is Teflon pans. The Teflon on the pan, isn't it remarkable how it sits there and you could cook things in it and all the food slides off, but it doesn't slide off itself. And Teflon pans keep going for years and years. Um, In fact, most of them, until you scratch them, they they last pretty well. And so that material is a fluoropolymer and it's bound to a metal through the miracles of chemistry. And uh, it is one of the most uh, slipperiest surfaces you've ever imagined. And that's what these uh, PFAS chemicals are really good at. They don't all have to be polymers, very few, a uh, fraction of them are, but the rest of them are actually small chemical molecules, but they contain their slipperiness. They have one side that really likes water, one side that really hates water. And uh, it's sort of, uh, I could go into psychological terms, anthropomorphism, but I don't, <laughs> anthropomorphize them. I don't want to do that. So these uh, these molecules are really confused, but they are the world's best surfactants. So you can see videos. You search online for the videos of these guys that are coating their clothing, their clothing with PFAS, and they stand in front of the camera and throw a bucket of mud at them. The guy who didn't have pfas treated clothing is covered with mud. The other one just it all rolls off. You've seen them sell uh, carpets, scotch carded carpets, where they pour the red wine on, And they dab it up with a paper cloth and magically no stain. And so these are used as stain resistant, as oil resistant, water resistant. And they're probably the best water resistant chemicals we've ever made or ever will make because of this nature of the bonding in it. Um, That all is well and good. There's a paper that came out last year that says there's 200 different products that use this stuff in them. Uh, All the way from mist suppression systems and machining to uh, pizza boxes, the line the popcorn bags. But it's, it's uh, all these products that seem to have them in. And it's essential because otherwise micro popcorn bag might get soggy. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I'm, as we get into them, they're less and less essential the more you talk about them. But the, the difficulty with them is that they persist forever. They're called the forever chemicals. They've got the moniker forever chemicals because once they get released to the environment, they last for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. And they bioaccumulate in fish, in polar bears. We see it in their blood. We see it in all the blood of North Americans. Everybody's got five parts per billion, even though they're all man made chemicals. Congratulations, you live in America. You've been eating off packaging, you've been drinking the water, and mm. you've been breathing the air, whatever it happens to be, it's gotten in your blood. Courtesy of about these six companies around the world that make it, um, and now we fast forward to you know, uh, the companies knew it in the 60s and 70s, but around about the year 2000, 2010, it became known that there are a lot of adverse human health effects. These chemicals aren't perfectly safe, so they are indeed uh, bioaccumulative. They cause two types of cancer. We know they probably dozens of others, but they have an immunosuppressant resist, uh, system. They attack the immune system. Um, all these things that we didn't weren't told about and nobody knew about. And yeah, it may not be as toxic as the other things, but they're more persistent. And therefore, they have longer time in your body to cause toxicity effects. And we don't know what the effects are because there's 4,700 of them in, in use. And we've only measured two really well. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that gives us, you know, research scientists and medical physicians got thousands of years to go to figure out what we've done to mm-hmm. ourselves. Uh, but the bunch of scientists and myself wrote a, this policy statement back in 2015. The Madrid statement said, you know, we should be careful with these chemicals. Once you make them, they last forever. Uh, and, you know, nobody thinks about that when they make the chemical. They say, oh, look, I got a new product. Um, and that liner is going to last there forever. So, in terms of sustainability and, and good stewardship, we shouldn't be doing that. You know, there are some essential uses you might want to use it for. But not the tanker truck a day we're making it in uh, to, for, of you know things like cosmetics, which are you know essential on a date, but not necessarily essential in the global scheme of things. And if there are alternatives that don't use them, maybe it would be safer. And I'll I'll talk about why. But uh, that's the that's the background of these chemicals. They're workhorses for the industry. That's why industry likes them so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they have a little catch that goes with it, and in this country, that means lawyers get involved. Uh, in other countries, they regulate them in advance. Um, we're not going to regulate them, but the lawyers will start jumping on the bandwagon very quickly, and and that's already begun to happen.
1: So, talk to us a little bit about makeup specifically. I mean, you mentioned that it's not essential; certainly, it's not uh, fun for a date, as you said, um, but very much important to the folks that listen to this podcast. Absolutely, your team did a study on PFAS in makeup. What brought this
2: up? Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, a lot of my research is student-driven. Um, mm. I have projects for my students, and I'm going to preface this with a study we did earlier back in 2017. Yes, I did a study on food packaging, and that was entirely student driven. We'd been looking at the uh, uh, household furniture and things we thought the stuff was in, clothing, um, and a student said, can I put my lunch wrapper in the beam? And we, we use a beam to measure this, and I said, sure. And lo and behold, the uh, Subway wrapper, the uh, Jim Johns, whatever it was, one of these wrappers glowed with fluorine, and we said, wow, how'd that happen? And it turns out that when you eat fast food and you sit on your lap for an hour in the car as you drive, you don't want the grease to stain through it. So somebody came up with this idea. I've got this wonderful new chemical that'll prevent grease from going through the paper or water from going through the paper. Wouldn't you want to put it on your hamburger, hot dog, taco, french fry, whatever it is, box or paper. And about 34% industry had done that by the time we found it. And we published a paper naming 20 companies from McDonald's, Panera, Starbucks, a whole lot. It said, we found it. We didn't say which ones were highest or lowest. We just said, we found these things in about 30, 40% of the wrappers. And uh, it was a national survey. We did five different states. I mean, it was, seemed to be pretty widespread. And we surmised that these were PFAS being put in and we measured which ones they were. Um, and uh, after that came out, there was a campaign from a uh, sitting US senator in Illinois who wrote to all 20 CEOs and said, I understand from the Washington Post that you use this chemical in your wrapping wrapping. Um, what's your policy for removing it? How soon will it be done? And when you're the CEO of a company and you get a letter from a senator saying, (laughs) "When will it be done?" you call the vice president and say, "Make it go away." And it's true; these companies, all the companies, never respond to the story except for McDonald's, who said, "We didn't mean to. We're trying not to." And in fact, they've gone PFAS free since then. They came out with a statement. The rest didn't want to ever admit they used it. But within 18 months, all 20 of those companies. We have it in pretty good information. The alternative, those companies switched away from it and the supply chain. Once they moved out of it, you think about it, it wasn't required. They had certainly a pleasant alternative, a cheaper alternative before they switched to it. And they'd only just switched, so they switched back. And they switched three times a year when they do seasonal packaging, anyway. So it wasn't a big deal. I'm sure it caused some late nights for a few people, but it wasn't a huge costly industry. They are now back to PFAS free. At least those 20 companies. There are others that may not have gotten the memo, uh, but it looks like that the, the fluorination went down. And that was based on a single study we put out saying, you know, we should look at this, guys. And, and it wasn't to call out any companies. We definitely did not say which company had which wrapper. And they appreciated the fact that, you know, they didn't like their name being in there much at all. But it was one of those things that they, it was just brand consciousness. And we were not trying to, we worked with them. In fact, the, in, the packaging industry called us up and said, hey, can you test for this? And we've done several companies where we've helped them find the source of their PFAS. It's usually a supply source problem that they mm-hmm. thought it was PFAS free, but it wasn't. And and so the companies, you know, I don't think they liked this much, but they, they certainly took it, into, uh, took it into initiative to change it. And, you know, if we have that effect doing a science paper, what else should we study? So we looked at uh, firefighter turnout gear next and put a big paper out of that last year. And that had a huge impact on the industry. The, the firefighters were actually being misled. And they did not like that. Um, and we've now shown, you know, it was just an overstatement that, oh, it's not in there. And if it isn't there, it's very safe. Well, it is it is in there and it's not very safe. It's not safe. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I'm not calling out any companies. And in fact, some of the companies are now started, well, all of them have now gotten the PFAS free alternative within a year of that paper, which is pretty remarkable. I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, and so, lo and behold, Almost three years ago, a student came into the lab saying, I'd like to test cosmetics. It was, I I hate to make this gender-based, but it was a female student that came in and sure. And she came in with 10 cosmetics. She scrambled up from her roommates and her, and they tested And several of them were fluorinated. And we said, Mm -hmm. wow, okay, that's indication it could be PFAS. Um, Go get some more samples. And to her credit, she came back the next day with 238 samples. I was like, how in the world did you get that? Well... (laughs) I went to this beauty store and I asked to try mm-hmm. sample one, sample two, sample three, and they let me. And I just scratched it all onto a piece of paper and I went to the next store and I took pictures of all the labels and it was remarkable. It was a, it was a brilliant move and we tested them all for free. Uh, and then we found the high ones and we went out and bought some samples and tested them properly. Uh, but we screened you know, close to 230 of these things and uh, we saw some high, some low. And it was just of interest, why were they being put there and a paper had come out at the same time in Europe, just the same year, a, a year after that, um, a paper came out in Europe saying, yes, we see PFAS and some cosmetics here, but they're all on the label and they're a few things they hadn't expected, but more or less, you know, some some products use it, some don't, and didn't seem to be a big problem. Um, we came to the opposite conclusion. We said, you know, fluorine is in about half of these things. And we also looked at some compounds that they had. We looked at some some classes of, of personal care products that they had we went after waterproof mascara and mm-hmm. the new types of lipstick, the the paint-on lips, the liquid lips. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm old enough to ask what that is every time first time I saw it, and the students all giggled and said, hey, "You're a little old. Try this out." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And you paint it on, yes, and it stays there for a long time, long-lasting. Okay, and waterproof. Those sort of characteristics mm-hmm. we see. And what was remarkable was that the labeling laws we have in this country are a little antiquated there from 1963 and maybe 1936 uh depending on where they uh which sets of laws they use so the materials that are listed on the labeling laws are not the words we would use to describe the chemicals certainly they're very abbreviated and they fail to mention that there's pfas or pfas treated materials in any of this stuff right uh, okay a few had teflon listed on the label but it was of the three or four percent of the chemical uh, three or four percent of the cosmetics had teflon listed all the rest had nothing with PFAS or nothing fluorinated listed at all. And so that by reading the labels, the consumer can't tell which of these might be a product you'd like to avoid if you had the choice. Because in this country, we're not going to regulate it. In this country, we're going to have consumers say, you know, do you want the toxic version or the non-toxic version? And if the consumers are aware of it, they magically go to the non-toxic version. And guess what? The suppliers like that better too, because then they know which products they can do. Um, And so we decided to the study and the hard part was identifying which PFAS were in it for a long time we couldn't figure it out but we collaborated with some people that were smarter than we were and could actually do the chemistry to break it it was nobody likes to put mascara in their fancy instrument and you know my fancy instruments it's easy because I don't I don't put it inside the inside the instrument they had to actually inject it in the machine and make it work again Um, and so that was pretty hard to do Um, but it took us a couple years to get that study completed because of that but then we put it out and again we made a, a splash out of it because we wanted people to be aware. Um, it's right on top of a national pandemic, which has hit the cosmetics and personal care industry rather hard, uh, as you were well aware. Um, so we're not trying to knock them all that down, but it was an appropriate time to bring attention to the fact that these, these chemicals are being used and they're very good at what they do. And so probably they'll be used that way, but there is some good news. They're not used in every product. So that means there's at least half the products don't use it. Um, that means there are alternatives. Um, certainly uh but it seems to be used and we've also we find it used in a couple of ways in the close to the mouth uh close to the eyes those would be not such good places to put it um because there are tear ducts that could transport it in or, or accidental ingestion There was this famous study years ago it wasn't quite right but they found out they estimated the amount of lipstick that a lipstick wearer would eat over the course of a lifetime it was in pounds Um, and so (laughs) if you had something that was fluorinated, uh, hopefully you don't eat that much, but if you did over a lifetime, you'd get, you know, more or less daily exposure to this chemical that we think is dangerous. Um, and just for the Y chromosomes that might be listening that don't think that they wear personal care products, we all do. Uh, I've got some deodorant on, God knows what's Mm -hmm. in that, Uh, but it's one of those things that, um, how much of that mascara do you really use out of a bottle? You use some of it. And then one night you left the lid off. So, and everybody's very well attached to their mascara. Rather than just using a different one, they throw it out and they get a new one of exactly the same brand because they're very mm-hmm. fond of it. Um, that means all that mascara went to the landfill and it'll take you know a few years to decay and go away. And the PFAS and it never do. So they will get in the groundwater and all of us are drinking that. So all that we produce on this planet of these PFAS get into materials that we eventually end up in the landfill in this country that will eventually come through the land- landfill leachate back into the drinking water. It's a closed system and we are drinking and you know you just have to ask the people of Michigan or New Jersey or now North mm-hmm. Carolina Cape Fear, North Carolina is the last biggest uh, Hussick Falls has some Colorado Springs has some there's, there's these industrial spills all over the place Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, Homer 3M all these places had some spills where it's gotten in the drinking water and people have had to go to a rose osmosis system and, and uh, avoid what they're drinking what if it's coming out of every single one of our landfills and that's all 50 states all all communities and it is and we've got several people some wonderful people at north carolina state have measured it and said oh it's coming out of our landfill and they can actually measure is coming out um and so we're seeing this chemical come out from all our consumer products in addition to the people that are wearing it may have a direct exposure source so the whole point of our story was that it's not just direct exposure it's my end of life exposure but we're poisoning the environment and ourselves by drinking water, and so it's a little more scary. I'm not invited to parties anymore. I'm probably, <laughs> bloom. but uh, but it's it's one of those things that you know. The good news is that this paper is written not just for the consumer for, to be aware, but also for the industry, mm. and the industry has been remarkably silent so far. They, oh, I'm not sure this is right. but it, it no no real slapbacks yet. But I suspect they'll come. But the whole reason for publishing it is that we published our methods and we published what what types of materials we looked at. We didn't say which brand had which levels. Uh, We did say the sentence in there that every major brand that we tested had some, and every major brand we tested didn't have some. Some were not fluorine and some were. So the companies know their supply chain, or they should. Um, They should know what formulations they're using. But the labeling is so abstruse on these things that somebody in Sri Lanka labeling it as ingredient a or b may have forgotten to tell you that it was fluorinated and if you ask mm-hmm. they'll say well what would you like it to be i'll put it on the label <laughs> next time um and so there's some truth in advertising going on and i do believe we've already been contacted by a couple of companies that are very eco-minded or friendly and they said we would like ours what do we have to do and i said very simple demand that your suppliers produce these things without fluorine and and measure them once or twice not with us with any commercial company can do this and that's all they had to do and then you could put on the label for the consumer no intentional pfas added those four words would go you know that would be a product lift you could do to sell you could sell more that way uh, and it would probably be right as long as you tested it screened it once or twice to make sure that this is really truly we found all sorts of in the paper industry we found accidental substitution this company that was eco-friendly guaranteed me they were not using fluorine we test their paper it was fluorinated and I they they called me up and said how can this be? And they sent me the paper and I said, Yep, it's still fluorinated. They said, But we don't use any fluorinated products. We've, we've designed this to be eco friendly. And they said, Well, is it just paper? Oh, no, it's treated. We've got some treatments on it. And they had five treatments. They didn't want to tell me what they were. And I said, Don't tell me what they are. I'll tell you, label them A, B, C, D, E. Send them to me on separate pieces of paper and I'll let you know which one it is. And they sent five pieces of paper and it was number D. I sent back, Yeah, D is highly fluorinated. All the rest are fine. They said, How can that be? But there was, a, you know, they at least had some information. Two weeks later, they didn't have to do this. They called me back and they said, hmm, well, that was a product we made out of Galveston, Texas. that was fluorine-free. Uh, again, it had this terrible hurricane Harvey a few years ago. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, they had to switch supplier. They switched this wonderful supplier in Shanghai. And they we were assured it was fluorine-free, but it has this fluoroether. Yeah, that's a fluorinated chemical. Thanks. And they said, oh, oops. And so it was a supply chain mix up and they had not did it. They changed it. They sent me a new piece of paper and said, what about this one? I said, it's fluorine free. They said, bingo. And so they were very thankful because it, Took a couple of weeks of sending samples back and forth and i ran i think eventually a dozen samples for them for free um but it made a decision these are guys trying to make the right decision and they tried to to figure it out the purpose of our paper was not to shame any companies or it was to send a shot across the bow saying hey look anybody could measure these things and if their fluorine chemicals in there and your and your wearers are getting sick god forbid that would happen and we don't know what the exposure level is we're not exposure we're just saying that it's there it could be it could be ingested um and so now people will be doing that study uh but it's one of those things that they have now some warning and i'd be willing to bet in the back rooms there are a lot of conversations going on well how do we know what's in our product and and how would we label it differently you're not going to be able to change the whole labeling standard of the fda overnight it's going to take years to petition that and change it and the chemical company is going to fight it um Mm -hmm. so the labeling is going to take oh between one and 18 years to change um but any company can label what they like and if you look at the ceramic pot industry nowadays i i personally have switched away from teflon not because it's dangerous but because just my buying it means that there's more money in that so i have made the uh, green decision to go to ceramic pans and I mm-hmm. thought I thought my eggs would never be the same again, but it turns out turns out my eggs were not that good to begin with. And oh. ceramic ceramic cooks just fine. I'm amazed at that. actually. And so I didn't. I'm not wedded to Teflon. I don't need it. Um, and the same thing will happen with the cosmetics industry. If they can find formulations that work, it may not be as waterproof. they'll to sell. They'll have to sell more. Gee whiz! Uh, <laughs> I'd rather sell more of the safe stuff than the ones that are suspect of carcinogens and things like this. And so, uh, can we prove that makeup is causing cancer? No, but if these chemicals cause cancer and we're putting them in our eyeshadow, or our uh, sorry, mascaras, or or lip glosses, and things like that, well. Why would we? Um, and the fact that there are non-fluorinated alternatives out there—at least on some, most of these products—I'm not sure about the eyeshadow, and, and there are sure. some. We found two or three that weren't, so they maybe they don't work as well. I don't know that, uh, but I'm—it's a—it's an opportunity for green chemistry. Somebody can come along with a new product that works better without these chemicals, um, and I so I, I'm aiming at business so that they can check their supply chain and clean it up, and it's on them to do so because the consumer. The poor consumer has no idea. There are these wonderful websites that say these are safe. Uh, and you're all aware of them, I'm sure. Painfully aware of what, you know, EWG then puts on their uh, toxic-free screens and things like that. But those guys are doing a great job, but they're all doing it based on the label. If the label, <laughs> if, the, if the label is missing, then we don't know what's in those products, and therefore the consumer doesn't, and they can't make the marketing choice that everybody deserves the right to, I want brand A or brand B because I know brand A has this and brand B doesn't. And so... I think that the market forces will adjust. I think it'll be traumatic for a few people in the supply chain business, uh, but I think most industries are going to survive just well and we'll be better off for it. At least that's the intent of the paper. We're not trying, we certainly didn't call out any manufacturer. And the most common question I get asked is here's my favorite cosmetic. Does this have it in? Um, I've tested 200 of them. I'm afraid uh, there's 20,000 on the market. If you consider all the shades of gray that you have there, uh, I'm not sure. Um, and that's my answer. But uh, so what we can tell you is if it has the words waterproof on it or has the words long-lasting or last forever, uh, has some more remarkable property, which others don't seem to have, that's a pretty clear signature. And often anecdotally, we found them to be higher priced uh, because when you put these chemicals in, it costs money. So they make it up by, it works better, so they charge more. Um, so anecdotally, it's kind of the high-end stuff that is, seem to have more of it. Not absolute. And, and it's not any one brand or any one product line. There are mascaras, which are waterproof, which... Don't have it, uh, but there seem to be most of them did. The fact that we found them and things labeled uh, the only correlation we found was things were labeled water resistant means that somebody knew their purpose and put them in there is because they knew it would work better. Um, and so that's, I think. Uh, that somebody knows that some levels in some of these companies, but there are certainly companies that contacted us saying oh my gosh we had no idea it was in any of our products did it was it in any of our products and well I didn't measure many of your products but I can tell you this one did and this one didn't and we will disclose that to a company but we won't disclose that to the to the reporter in the world here. It's such a small sampling set. I can't tell what the industry is holding. It. It's enough at a couple hundred. You say, look, if it's in fifty percent of a couple hundred, I didn't just pick the magic two hundred. There, there had to be. There has to be other people out there. And the Europeans are now going to go back and busily check the ones that they didn't check because mm-hmm. their labeling laws are much better than ours. But maybe there's some loopholes over there too. Um, and I think that the companies will respond. Um, I think it'll be safe for the consumers, but not until these changes get made, which is going to take a year or two. Um, but that's a great time for having your listeners and and your and people involved in the industry to just be aware of why we're worried about these chemicals. The the we haven't gone into the details of all the ways that they can interact negatively with human health, but they can, and it's really an insidious chemical. Uh, it it can attack in so many different ways, and, and you know, it's not the intent of any chemical uh, to be hazardous that you use in a product. So mm-hmm. uh, that's that's sort of the the warning message, but also the. The silver lining is that half of them didn't have any in it, so there's a bunch of chemical, a bunch of wonderful cosmetics out there that have never used it and probably never will, and seem to work just fine, and seem to have millions and billions of dollars of sales. Um, and it's just a question of urging our manufacturers to switch towards those, and they don't need much more urging than a couple of lawyers knocking at the door. So, that, and I'm sure they'll start after it eventually, but it's it's going to take a while to figure it out. And
1: in the spirit of sort of lawyers coming knocking, uh, legislators have been busy at work. As of June, there is a no PFAS in cosmetics act that was introduced to the US House and Senate. Uh, What do you think about this? Do you think that your research perhaps contributed to movement uh, on the Hill to get this Uh, going?
2: I think it shocked a lot of people. And uh, there was, I was very surprised when that happened. Uh, I I heard about it uh, literally only a couple of days before the paper was to be published. And they coordinated it, so it came out with the paper in the Senate, and then the House bill followed a few days later. Um, I have met many of the congressional aides. They called me up and said, is this true? And I said, well, I'm publishing it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and they said, which companies? And I said, well, all of them, mm-hmm. but none of them. Um, you know, we're not going to give in the specifics, so, so there's nobody we can subpoena. I said, no, but you can, you know, you, I think it would be good to, to regulate this if you could i think the house one passed i think the senate one is still in committee if i'm right Um, and i don't know much about the the government system here but i I do know that it's um it's facing a long uphill battle against those that don't want to and industry has a lot of money they can block legislation pretty easily so i think that it's going to be one of those things that uh, unless you can prove it's it's killing kids and kittens um it's it's not going to it's not going to face a regulatory threat right away but individual states can, and I know the state of Maine has, <laughs> um, rather rather precipitously. And she, was, uh, the senator from Maine, was one of the co-sponsors of the Senate bill. And they're just angry. You know, why doesn't anybody watch out for the consumer? And that's something that I think industry should take very seriously. If if mm-hmm. consumers are angry about this, um, maybe we should be more responsible about our supply chains. And yeah, you know, but yeah, you know, there's all these new chemicals found all the time. Well it's time to keep up with them and, and just do di- due diligence to try and say, look, I try to make a safe product for my consumer. And they, you know, it's, it's nothing, nothing terrible. It's just ways to fix it for the future. And we've seen this happen in industry after industry, the carpet industry has gone through this, the outdoor textile industry, the firefighting gear industry and mm-hmm. the food, fast food packaging. And guess what? It's personal care products time. And, uh, we're, there's, you know, that's about six different industries. I think there's 194 left for me to do. Um, and as a student, you know, it is, it's, uh, <laughs> I got about five lifetimes of work left to do, but it's, it's not just me. There's hundreds of scientists now working on this. And I have a, just a way of screening faster than most people. I, I look at total fluorine as a surrogate and then narrow down on the pieces that we, rather running these very expensive samples all the time, they do the cheap survey and say, oh, let's take these 10 and those 10. And that we only analyzed thirty in detail, but those thirty were enough to convince us yeah, had this PFAS and all these things that we measured, um, and how much of it is there. And it was it was high in some cases. It, the, some people say it's low; it's only part per billion. But if you get part per billion into your blood, that's what's in your blood, part per billion. So you've now doubled what's in your blood, and we've shown that you know a doubling of the PFAS in your blood leads to a fifty percent immune response. Your to the vaccines, your vaccine is fifty percent as effective oops, that never matters before. Yeah, it just kids with diphtheria and tightness and things like that. Now it matters because we have a COVID pandemic. And here's another scary idea. The first study came out, that the chemicals are of long chain and short chain variety. Industry has told us for years, well, we switched away from the nasty long chain ones, the short chain ones, much safer, much safer. And their argument is that spends less time in your body, therefore it's safer, which is true. It's only months in your body, not years. That is, you know, essentially 12 times safer, um, and they use this chemical argument a lot, saying it's much safer. We say it's not perfectly safe because the other ones aren't safe, and these ones are now 12 times safer. Um, never seemed to matter until somebody did a study of these short-chain ones in COVID patients in Denmark, and Philip Granje mm. did this beautiful study this year, came out in January, of the first 239 COVID patients in Denmark. And they broke into categories of many of them didn't go to the hospital. About 20% of them did. And of that 20%, some fraction of them got intubated and went to ICU, and some fraction of them died. It wasn't a large fraction, but it was the, those about 25% had negative outcomes, <laughs> really bad outcomes. And about 80, 75% were had it and survived and went on like most people here. And this was just out of one hospital in Denmark. But then they looked at the PFAS levels in the blood and found no correlation whatsoever except for that one short chain chemical, the one that's perfectly safe, because it's such short chain that we exhale it from our lungs to get rid of it. And it lines the lungs and changes the (sighs) surfactancy of the lungs. Nobody cares about that, except we have a national international global pandemic that is a respiratory virus that attacks the lungs. Oops. So we would never have noticed it until this came up. And it's causing, if you have a and all well, he was just looking at natural distribution, some people have more in their blood and some people have less, depending on whether they have carpet treatments or whether they're a firefighter or whatever it happens to be. And those people with more in their blood are having worse outcomes. Um, that's scary because it's attacking the immune system and, and how you breathe. And that's only one chemical. There's 4,700. Some of them go to the brain preferentially. That must be good news. Uh, I don't know what happens there, but it's not good. Um, and so these are the types of scare stories that we're. we're being exposed to in the and it's going to take years to get them all done people testing different uh, hypotheses and, and measuring them i think it's up to us in an industry such as this to respond with oh gosh i didn't know that was in there and now we see this as a, a threat or an opportunity it's a glorious opportunity get ahead of it understand the chemicals that you're actually putting in the products make sure that you can identify which ones don't have it. And there's easy tests you can do. Anybody can do these tests. It's published. Um, It costs some money, uh, but it's not like making these chemicals doesn't cost money. Um, And in fact, moving away from fluorine is actually cheaper. So it might save you money. Uh, But it will be one of those things. Everybody wins except the fluorine industry. Um, And I'm not too worried about those guys. Uh, They don't (laughs) like me already. But it's, it's one of those things that we're having, you know, marvelous lawsuits all over the country now, $900 million here, a billion dollars there for these, these uh, industrial plants that accidentally poison the water around them. When the consumer products hit and there's known uh, diseases that are caused by these chemicals, there'll be uh, the movie dark waters comes to mind that was a movie about this this exact chemical so if you've seen mark ruffler on that then you've got it it's a good it's actually factual about a lawyer spent 18 years of his life fighting it and actually getting a very big win and uh he's i don't know many lawyers i like this guy is a hero he he spent a long time fighting uphill one and you know if i got a 631 million dollar check i'm not sure i would be here the next day i'd send a letter He, he came back and three months later filed lawsuit in federal court against the companies that made PFAS asking for $300 million to do a study of everybody who's in North America, who's got it in their blood, which is everybody in North America. And so it's a class action lawsuit on behalf of 300 million people, which I'm not aware has been done before. And he got the same judge that did the first trial. So he's mm-hmm. PFAS provision and that, you know, $300 million to these companies is petty cash. They could have paid it off and, and just made it go away. But, as soon as they do that, then all these products become liabilities to them and they will be bankrupt three times over, even though it's a very big industry. So they're fighting it hard. Um, but, you know, that takes guts to do that. Uh, it's one word for it. And, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not out there fighting in, in newspaper land. Um, I do have these stories go viral and, and people make stories about them because, oh my gosh, my cosmetics. And so this was a very well-read paper. And it wasn't my intention to do that, but it was my intention to to make it for the consumer to find out, you know, there's a story and, you know, everything's toxic and we're all going to die. Well, yes, but we'd like not it to be, we'd like it not to be sooner. Um, and Certainly. so we can make this, this, uh, these products safer simply by switching away from these PFAS. And that's, that's the, the, hopefully the, the pleasant message that's there. Um, I get out on all the shows I can do to tell you people that, uh, but it's, uh, and you know, I've had several companies call already and say, don't use our name, but what can we do to do this? Sure, I don't need to use anybody's name. I can point towards people that can do this testing, and I know several companies are working towards that now. I'm, I haven't spoken to really big ones. I'm sure they're also having board meetings about it, and things will change. Uh, but it, what I don't want to see is the doubling down. Well, it's perfectly safe because we use the safe PFAS. Uh, there's no safe PFAS, Let's see. <laughs> um, and the, some may be safer. Uh, yeah. Oh, this is only half as toxic. Good. That makes me feel warm and wasn't so. I, you know, these these sort of uh, logic arguments are pretty easy to feed. Your your uh, readers and listeners can can figure that out. Just read the fine print. Um, it's an interesting story out there. In this particular chemical class that you know, there's movies made about it now. It's great. Uh, uh, I got to listen to Barker flow on a phone call once. So I was my claim thing, and my kids said, "Well, why couldn't you get in the movie?" I was like, eh. <laughs> I'm "Not there. I'm not there. Quick enough." So, uh, but I think this is a story that we. Uh, You'll be happy to report is over in five years, uh, but I don't know how long it'll take in those five years for companies to really change. Um, and we'd like to encourage it.
1: And we'll then have to be in touch in five years to see how far we've come. Hopefully, to your point, things are, are in a better place uh, and that we don't have to have all of these lawsuits out there demanding yeah. that manufacturer. Eh, but, you know, who yeah, knows? It, That's the optimistic take
2: that's the optimistic take and you know there's several other industries yet to go and i'm sure some of them are bigger uh, i know the one i'm working on now is going to be bigger uh and they're fighting pretty hard uh, <laughs> but, uh it's uh it's going to be as soon as we can figure out which chemical it is it's going to be a slam dunk because it's in everything we use and it's just a little bit but uh a little bit times every household is a lot um and so we're working on these things and as student interest in funding comes available we we work on projects of uh, other things we found a a dye that's pretty bad for us too in some black uh, black dye that has a chemical concern in it and so we're working on that we're working on uh how how this pfas chemical actually bioaccumulates so we've got a study to look at great lakes fish we're looking at the food chain to see which fish have it which fish don't because uh, people eat fish, believe it or not. And so we do get bioaccumulation that way. And mm. uh, knowing that the Great Lakes, how it impacts. Then when we have these spills, we know that the, there's an impact well beyond, because the fish swim everywhere, uh, well beyond that point. So we're doing lots of different studies like that. Um, I think they're good studies there. They're certainly fun for the students. And they love the idea of societal impact. And uh, the lead author on my, on my, uh, on my paper is uh was concerned with her own cosmetics and she tested them because she could um but uh and she was all happy she picked pfas free brands uh or uh, types uh but then she tested her shampoo <laughs> and lo and behold <laughs> we haven't reported that one yet uh and so she was uh, uh horrified and switched shampoos uh, which is a big decision um I haven't looked at my shampoo recently, but I'm pretty sure I, I have the cheap one. don't think it's going to, don't think it's going to be, be fast food, but, uh, it, you know, you can't read the labels all the time and believe me either. So right. uh, some of this has to be done.
1: <laughs> We're very much looking forward to future studies, uh, particularly as relevant to hair care. I think that you've just yep. stumbled onto something that, uh, would be of a lot of interest to our listeners, um, but certainly <laughs> the work to, that's already been done, uh, Definitely helpful in terms of making the consumer aware, which is important. And again, we're seeing some progress with some regulation, perhaps. Uh, But yeah, thank you so much for your time to talk through this. Before we let you go, we are going to do our quick takes, though, which is a segment that we sort of insist that all of our guests participate in. Uh, And we're really going to talk a little bit about personal care items. Uh, So believe it or not, hopefully these are PFAS free on your end. I Uh, have The Uh, the first question we have, uh, bar soap or body wash? Which is it for you, doctor?
2: I am a bar soap type of person and my children are all body wash type of people. Uh
1: generally so souls,
2: yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: All right. So you sound to be quite busy um considering the pandemic. Lots of folks have been at home and streaming things. Um is there something in particular that you're streaming? Perhaps not, but we'll ask anyway.
2: I'm not actively streaming, but my students have gotten into several of these uh, these things and they they like their research being popular. It's it's difficult to be a graduate student in a program for five of four, five, six years and learn one thing, become a world's expert in it, and even your parents can't understand it. And so having a topic where it affects people, um, it's, it's very exciting for the students to be able to go home and talk at Thanksgiving, people mm. saying ooh and ah and arguing about it. Um, and it's you know it's the problem of going into psychology, right? Everybody's a popular psychologist, so you can't go anywhere and everybody tells you the business. Um, In chemistry, that doesn't happen so much. Very few people tell me, "Oh, it should be this way or that way, Uh, but uh, it tends to scare people away. If you can talk about how it relates to, you know, we put all these chemicals in our household and some of them are safer than others, Uh, the students are actually doing that, and they're doing a much better job, of course, getting live and streaming, Um, and not just my students, but there is plenty of them out there in this field. So, if you look up PFAS on um, any of the, there'll be a bunch of TikToks out there. There'll be a hmm. bunch of other things like that. And uh, I had a student, bless her soul, who was, uh, I think, a 12 year old at the time, wrote to me and said, I watched this TikTok video, and I bet you she's using PFAS in that thing. And uh, it was just one that had a remarkable uh, water repellent feature. And I said, <laughs> she may be right. <laughs> and so it doesn't, It doesn't. you know, she'd been to a talk and was all amazed at age 12. And that uh, was one of the, the public ones I'd given. And she wrote to me the next day. And I've had a, uh, again, a, a young uh, student from Sweden wrote me just the other day and said, which lipsticks? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, well, go speak to your local Swedish research group. And there's a bunch of them doing PFS out there and uh, they might be able to help you. And so I think that, you um, Getting people excited by it uh, is the realm of of live streaming and blogging and all this other stuff. And I'm not very good at it. I have have a few social media accounts, but they're not very active. And I I leave it to the ones that can do it well to sort of broadcast the message. And there are plenty of them out there. If you look up hashtag PFAS, there's a lot of PFAS action groups out there that are trying to understand why this whole bay or this whole pond or this whole river is polluted. And what does it mean for the children that are drinking it? And mm-hmm. those, are, those are pretty uh, heartrending when you get to it.
1: Ugh, well, I don't know that our listeners would have known about that before today's episode, but I feel like they're going to want to dig into this. Uh, and we'll make sure that we'll include some hashtags and some links within the show notes so that they can go and discover some of the stuff that you're talking about because they do think that they're going to and, be interested.
2: And the paper I published is, is freely accessible. We've published it uh, open source. So if you want to put a hashtag, there's a hashtag on that too. I don't know what it is, but I'll hook it up for you. I was going to say, we'll make sure that it's included. Don't worry. There you go.
1: Yep. Uh, What is one product that you cannot live without?
2: Well, I have discovered that my Teflon pans are something I thought I couldn't live without, but I could. Um, And I thought that was good. Though uh, my dental floss, I thought I shouldn't be using this dental floss anymore. The dental floss was this type that is fluorinated. If it looks like Teflon tape, it probably is. Don't it use probably it. is. Oh, yeah. no. And, <laughs> and and we found out that, you know, that's given out as free samples everywhere. So if you're one of the people like me that takes all these free samples, I got the kids, they don't use it. I use all their free samples. I'm like, no. And so I have like 50 of these free samples in the drawer that I all tossed out and said, no, I'm going to buy the old wax type. The old wax type works fine. Sorry. Um, I can't live without dental floss. There's one product I can't live without. And okay. uh, But knowing that there's Teflon tape and there's non-Teflon tape, I went with a non-Teflon tape very rapidly on that one. And That's I was fine. horrified to find that all my kids were bringing home little toothbrushes and Teflon tape. I was like, nope. Last question.
1: This is generally for our hairstylists and our pro beauty artists. Yep. Um, but advice for those that want to get to the top of your industry um, as a top researcher. Uh, let's let's hear it in the the last few
2: minutes we've got with you. Well, it's the, the best advice I can give is whether it's a job or a career. And once you make that distinction, and the easiest way to find that is when you enjoy going to work and you enjoy the art of styling or the art of whatever you do, um, then you have made a career out of it. And that means you enjoy work. No matter what, I'm afraid, in this day and age, you're going to have to work hard to get ahead. Um, but if it's doing something you like to do, I don't mind spending a few nights and weekends doing it because I enjoy it. Um, if I was doing a miserable job nine to five and I'm working for somebody else and nobody likes to work for another boss, um, then it gets very difficult to get up every morning and just not have this clenched jaw. And so many of us do. And so I think it's important for anybody struggling to get ahead. Remember, it's a long haul. Uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, but you really do need to enjoy what you're doing and focus in on it and be good at it. Uh, and I know that my uh, niece in Australia is a hairstylist. She's really good at it and she has uh, made a career out of it. And it's not her whole life, of course. She has gone to Canada for a couple of years and gone back, but mm-hmm. she, uh, she actually is embracing it as a way to get ahead and she's making art out of it. Uh, good to her. And uh, I think that that's sort of an example, um, doesn't apply to everyone, but I think you are going to work hard to get ahead. You might as well do something you enjoy. And try to try to remove the obstacles. Um, yeah, we're not all in charge, unfortunately, which we were. <laughs> uh, but if there'll be days when you really worry about that, but some days you will be in charge, and uh, that's that's kind of nice.
1: Absolutely. Well, good to her and good to you. Thank you so much for your time, for your work, uh, <laughs> for your dedication to this field, to helping consumers, uh, to empowering students, to also help consumers. We're really again so appreciative of your time um, and all that you're up to. Uh, and as we said, don't be a stranger. Uh, if you're going to be doing some some work looking into hair care products, we would be very interested in that. Right. Um, but yeah, we're looking forward to seeing sort of how the No PFAS and Cosmetics Act turns out. Hopefully mm. it goes through the Senate, although it doesn't
2: look like anything can at the, this point. Um, it may go through the state legislatures, and that may be just as good. But so exactly. it's some regulation. Um, <laughs> I would be interested in more hair products, but if uh, somebody would educate me about what the hair products industry looks like, that would be the first step so that I know, you know, where should we look and why? And is it really a concern or not? We don't know it's a concern yet. So that we can find out on our own, but we can find out. I was going to say,
1: well, uh, we should be in touch about this. Uh, It would be very, very, very interesting. Uh,
2: So yeah, again,
1: thank you so much for your time, Dr. Peasley. It's been a pleasure. Uh, And where can people find you in your work? I mean, you had mentioned that the paper that we've been referring to is open source, which again, we're so grateful for. Um, But if they want to sort of look into other studies that you've done, how is the best way? I mean, Generally, people look to Instagram. In this case, it might not be the best place to find you and your work.
2: Not for this one. I'm afraid <laughs> we're, we're old academic. I do have an Instagram account, but it's not. I'm not outgoing at all. Um, I have students and I have to stay in touch with my students for jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best place I would say is... Uh, search the web and uh, my work is well published now in terms of i have got lots of publications but you can see if you go into google scholar you can look up my name and find all the papers and then you'll find the firefighter paper you'll find the um the fast food packaging paper and there's all those stories about them too and people reporters have condensed it down to yeah (laughs) three sentences that explains three years of work bullet Um, bullet (laughs) points yeah you know hashtag 147 characters and yeah there's my work but it's it's one of those things that i think is quite really accessible this the viewers should be able to be able to deduce what's factual what isn't by looking at enough stories and the web is so filled with stuff that you have to do that just to stay sane um but there's stuff out there if it's in a peer-reviewed article and there's a synopsis of it on somebody's website it's probably gone through fairly stringent uh, arguments about what's right or wrong in it. And those are really quite fun to read. And they're pretty scary because people like sensationalizing, oh my God, it's in the hair products. Um, yeah, your hair's gonna fall out. Uh, no, it's not always true. It's, it's, so you have, to, you have to be able to, to understand it. And then there'll be some that go really specifically into details and that you'll need somebody to explain it. Uh, but that's, uh, that's where it's possible to do. And I know that uh, the firefighters who have cancer have become cancer experts because they look it up. They have a very vested interest in us. If you're interested in, a, in an industry and you want to make it better, start doing the research. And you have a vested mm-hmm. interest in making this our stronger, better, more outward facing, more consumer facing. There you go. There's a way to start the research and be happy to help people if they're interested.
1: Amazing. Again, thank you so much. We'll yep. encourage everybody to go and find you. We'll include a bunch of the things we've discussed in the show notes and make it easier for everybody one click. Um, But again, thank you so much for your time. We really, really do truly appreciate you being here with us today on on the podcast.
2: Thank you, Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure.
1: We hope that you guys liked that interview. Dr. Peasley had so much to say about the dangers of certain chemicals that are popping up in cosmetics that we use literally every day. We sort of got to, in the end, about what's in hair products. That's another sort of Pandora's box. So look, if you guys are interested in knowing if there's some PFAS in your products, drop him a line. His contact info is in the show notes. He's constantly doing research, um, and I'm sure that he'd be happy to hear from you. So thank you so much, Dr. Peasley, for chatting with us on Volume Up.
0: I mean, that was a great interview, Jeff. I mean, so much information to pack in, right?
1: Yeah. I honestly we could have talked all day. Um, and we'll yeah. have to have him back, maybe when we do the follow-up study.
0: <laughs> great. We'll have him back. Thanks again for joining Dr. Graham Peasley. Be sure to hit subscribe, rate and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at teas and send in questions to volume up at theteas.com.
1: Volume Up is a Tease Media production. This episode was produced by Monica Hickey, Steven Jodorin, and Matt Hickey. Thank you to our creative team for putting together the graphics for this episode and to Josh Landowski for editing so you can watch and listen on YouTube.